I am so excited to share with you guys my love for Catbird NYC, one of my favorite makers of jewelry on the planet. A few years ago, I was exploring Williamsburg, Brooklyn for the first time, and I happened to walk into this really sweet brick and mortar store, and I looked around and I saw that it was filled with the most delicate, beautiful, sparkly jewelry, all of which seemed like if I dreamed up a line or a type of jewelry, this would be it. I'm the kind of person that wears the same jewelry to go swimming in the morning that I wear to a formal wedding that same night. The thing about the jewelry that they make at Catbird is that it is jewelry that has this ease of wear and this sort of quietness that just slips into your life and you can put their jewelry on and you never take it off. And the thing that they became super popular for originally are these stacking rings, like these beautiful, delicate 14 karat gold stacking rings that you can layer and have this really delicate aesthetic. So if you're gonna spend money on something that you want but don't really need, do it with Catbird because it is an investment in yourself. You'll feel confident and beautiful in Catbird jewelry. Go to catbirdnyc.com. Okay. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's a lot of and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. I'm so excited to share today's episode with you guys with Joe Iconis and Jennifer Ashley Tepper. I had the great pleasure of sitting down with them both at BroadwayCon 2018. It'll be very clear we're at BroadwayCon, not just because we referenced it, but you can hear it in the background all through the episode. And I hope that just makes it all the more fun to listen to. But something really extraordinary has happened since I spoke with Joe and Jen, which is the musical Be More Chill, which both of them have been involved in from the very beginning, was meant to come to New York 
then those plans got thwarted, and then because of the passion, enthusiasm, and the demand of the Be More Chill fans, it's happening. And it really is kind of a musical theater, modern day miracle. And even more ironic is while I was editing the episode today, my son was creating a recording of his own of one of the songs from Be More Chill, Michael in the Bathroom. And it really moved me and really, I don't know, nailed the point home about how musicals can speak to a young person and they can find themselves and connect to it in ways that are really magic. And he just walked in with the recording and I thought, you know what, I'm going to share it because it is pure love for Be More Chill. Anyway, here's my son Caleb, a little snippet of his recording of Michael in the Bathroom, and then it gives me great, great pleasure to bring you Joe Iconis and Jennifer Ashley Tepper on this episode of Little Known Facts. Enjoy. Michael in the Bathroom by himself, all by himself. Hey, everybody. We are here at Broadway Con 2018 with Jen Tepper and Joe Iconis. Joe Iconis is a Long Island native and a grad of the great NYU Tisch Graduate Musical Theater Program. He is the recipient of a zillion awards for his musical theater genius. Some of his musicals include The Black Suits, Rewrite, The Plant, That Ate Dirty Socks, mm-hmm. Things to Ruin, yep. The Songs of Joe Iconis, and his Christmas music extravaganza that Will Rowland basically talks about in his sleep. And that musical's fandom and the family of people who participate in that musical is growing and growing and growing. And more artists are joining every year and the passionate fan base is kind of extraordinary. With us, his partner in crime, Jennifer Ashley Tepper, who is the creative and uh, programming director at Feinstein's 54 Below. She's the author of the Untold Stories of Broadway book series. She's also produced Broadway shows, most recently The Parisian Woman, starring Uma Thurman, and she produces the work of her dear friend, Joe Iconis. Welcome, Joe and Jen, to the podcast. Hi, Lana. Okay, first of all, it's a little like there's a lot of ambient noise, which I think people at home and listeners will be like, wow, it's like we're at Broadway Con. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that we're getting to share that with them. But the thing that I want to know, this is a little like the newlywed game, old school. Like, you guys are often mentioned in the same sentence together. Even though independently you have accomplished huge things, there's a relationship here that people are very curious about. So can you share with me a little bit of where this magic began? Yeah. Tepper, do you want to take it? Sure. We can do it together. But um, I was so obsessed with Joe from the first time I heard his songs. And I thought, that person is just writing musical theater that I have to be a part of in some way. So I worked on the musical title of show on Broadway as the director's assistant. And one of our title of show producers was producing a show of Joe's called Things to Ruin. And I said, let me be your producing assistant. I love this guy's stuff. It's like my favorite new musical theater being written. And uh, she invited me to do that. And that's where we started working together. And uh, from there, he just like can't get rid of me. I've been lucky enough to work on a lot of his musicals, a lot of his concerts in different capacities, and I just think he's writing the best stuff today. Well, can uh, I ask you something, Joe, before you speak? Who, how did you hear the music? Like, before title of show, and then you found out this 
when Sorry, I had my first internship in New York at the York Theater, I was cataloging demos for fun because it was a job no one wanted to do. The demos that they had in a dusty pile in the closet, not because they weren't good, but just because the York is a little dusty and wonderful. And um, and Joe had a demo in that pile, and I listened to Helen, which is a song of his. I listened to Blue Hair, and I was like, this is the best stuff ever. Okay, so that was like the magic moment yeah. where you happened to be cleaning, yeah. and look what happened. Do you remember the first time you met Tepper? I do. The first time I literally met Tepper was after a concert of mine at the Beachman. Um, you know, as you said, I do these uh, Iconis and family shows, these you know sort of nights of my songs that are in between like a, a rock show and a cabaret. And um, and Tepper, uh, I guess, had been to a few unbeknownst to me. And then finally, after uh, I guess a few times of her coming, she came up after a show and just sort of introduced herself, and that sort of started the whole thing, you know. And uh, throughout my career, I've had so many long collaborations, so many um, so many collaborations that have sort of you know lasted for a while. And it's always hard for me to remember exactly when those people like came into my life, you yeah, know. So yeah. Um, um, uh, it's hard to think back to think of like, oh, how did our relationship and our collaboration progress? It sort of feels like there's never been a time without Tepper, you know, which is <laughs> which is nice. And I also feel like after a year, like we met, it was kind of 2008 when we started seeing yeah. each other. And then by 2009, we were like working on everything together. And we were like putting on a concert in Bryant Park together and carrying like a keyboard through, the, you know, 34th Street. Like it happened really fast. And yeah. then it was just it stuck. You were young, scrappy, and hungry together. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, I've had the great privilege of having Jen on my podcast, and I hope that I'll get you also on my podcast in, yeah. in a more intimate setting than the Javits Center. <laughs> or not. Maybe we'll find that this is where I want to do all of my interviews right. from now on. <laughs> this is our okay. new thing. This might be like, come to the Javits. Like, there's a boat show. Let's go do an interview. That there's literally be... a boat show right now. <laughs> yeah. There's literally a boat show. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. We there's should do it there. There's always a boat show there's at the Javits. There's probably yachts. Yeah. <laughs> Which are two things that so people don't generally think of together, but we're changing that. Um, so I know a little bit about Jen's growing up in, in Miami mm -hmm. and sort of the ways in which, by the way, shout out to Jen Tepper's mom, who's right here. Do you want to just say a quick hello Hi, to Janice. the microphone, Janice? People want to know the source of Jen Tepper. It's you. Um, I want to ask you, and then we'll move it back to Jen and, and Joe. Were you a musical theater lover growing up? I was a huge theater lover growing up, and I took Jennifer to a lot of shows and made sure she went to theater camp, and now I get to love theater through her on a different level than ever before. That is pretty extraordinary. So it all started a generation before. My mom's here, you guys. I mean, thank you. Thank you for a special guest star, Mrs. Tepper. Um, so that's how it starts, right? Mm -hmm. What about for you? I, um, so as we said, I'm from Long Island originally, and my family is not in the arts at all. Like, there's no one in my family who's really into theater uh, or, or the arts in, in any any way, right? And I, um, I sort of came to theater through Little Shop of Horrors because the movie came out when I was a little kid, and um, I loved the movie so much, and the original production was still running when that movie came out. Okay. Uh, it was running for like a few more months. And so I saw a commercial for it, and I was like, oh, that's that movie I love, I wanna see that. And so for my sixth birthday, my dad took me to see the original production of Little Shop uh, at the Orpheum. It was like, I think a month before it closed or something. And uh, I was like hooked. Like it was the most like TV movie of the week version of a kid falling in love with theater. You know, I was completely like enraptured. Um, at the end of that production, uh, like vines came down on the audience. Yeah, and I, I truly think it like in that moment, it was like, it like zapped musical theater into me, you know? And so then like from then on, I was just obsessed with it. And my family was so supportive. They were so kind, even though they didn't fully understand it, you know, because 
because um, everyone in my family, like my, my mom's side of the family is from Brooklyn, my dad's side's from Queens. And so like, they, you know, they would go to theater casually, uh, but no one was like obsessed with it. And then all of a sudden I was this little kid who was like obsessed with theater. And they were so supportive. And so for every like, you know, birthday, holiday, the gift was always like going to see a show. And so I saw a ton of stuff uh, when I was a kid and it really sort of formed my, uh, my sensibility and my, my love of the whole thing. Do you have siblings? I do. I have a younger brother who's four years younger and he's a uh, middle school social studies teacher. Uh, a lot of people in my family are teachers. That's sort is of that like what your parents the did? family business. My mom is a superintendent of schools on Long Island. Wow. Um, and my dad, my dad's in computers. So he's the, he's the weird one. So did you grow up like hearing about the politics of public schools in New York and oh, yeah. sort of... Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was just sort of like, that was uh, my everyday life, you know, and I have a lot of like extended family members who are teachers and uh, it was just kind of that, you know, it was that and then my, my grandpa when I was a little kid owned a, a bar or restaurant and so like that was the other side, you know, like that, that sort of like, and my grandma owned a beauty parlor. And so there was like that and teaching, and that was my, my life as a little kid. Okay, but not for nothing, being a superintendent of schools is a really big deal. It's and a it's crazy not job. something you start at. Like, that is, was she a principal beforehand? Oh, yeah, or? yeah. She was, so a, she, went, she was a classroom teacher for many years, uh, then, you know, assistant principal, principal, uh, and now she's a superintendent of, uh, of Massapequa Schools. Lucille Iconis. She's really like Lucille. a superhero. She really is. She's <laughs> a superintendent superhero. Yes. yes. I wish she were here so that both your moms could have cameo appearances on I the Lone really. Facts. So there's something amazing and special about having someone in a family who has a passion that kind of can hold the whole family hostage mm -hmm. in a certain <laughs> way. And it seems like for both of you, the luck of being born into families that not only got it, but were like, what can we do? What can we do to help you move it forward? And then you both ended up at the NYU school, but not at the same time. Is that correct? There's an not age the difference? Or mm -hmm. What's really cool is I feel like Joe and I both surround ourselves with these like chosen families, but our actual families are integrated into that. Yeah. Yes. Um, my sister, Jessica Kent, actually works for Joe as one of his lawyers now. So it's all in the family. Which is my dream. My dream <laughs> is to have like everyone that I work with and who I'm actually related to just all be like the same group of people, you know? So... What was the first musical that you wrote that got done somewhere? The first show that I wrote that got done somewhere was uh, The Black Suits. That was my thesis musical at NYU. And so, um, that, and that was the first full-length musical I ever really wrote. You know, I wrote like little things throughout school, but that was my first full-length. And um, yeah, and that sort of got me attention immediately out of school and sort of set me on a path. So, so coincidentally, yeah. uh, a month before the Black Suits went to the Barrington mm -hmm. Stage Theater Company. Uh, Barrington Stage Company. Thank you. You're close. I'm a little formal. <laughs> I call it. I call it the Barrington. <laughs> um, I did a play with Ben Platt, and he mm -hmm. played my son. Oh right. And right. the show was done, and he was like, "I'm going to, I'm going to the Berkshires to go do a musical." And he and my family became so close, and my little daughter thought of him as a big brother, that he was like, can you bring Georgia, and can you come see this show? And so we drive, my, we do a mommy-daughter trip uh -huh. to, um, to go see this play. Julie Platt, the beloved mother of Ben Platt, yeah, yeah. shout-outs to mom, who also I worship at the altar of, like, how do you raise the most balanced, mm -hmm. well-rounded, grounded children you call Julie Platt? Just mm -hmm. by the way, anybody <laughs> listening. And so we go, and it's like one of the most meaningful trips I've taken with my little girl and Aww. at the end of the show mm -hmm. someone gets hit yeah and my kid 
is wrecked. She is oh, no. like literally we're supposed to like go hang out and like spend the evening with Ben. She can't. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's completely like, is he really hurt? Is everyone okay? <laughs> because someone got punched yeah. and it was like the Joe most. Joe needs to have blood in all of his I musicals. I know. It's my, it's my it's insistence on blood <laughs> that wrecked your poor kid. It was just one of those moments where she was so invested in the story mm-hmm. and those characters and also loving Ben so much right, like a right, brother right. and seeing him in like a, a scary, painful yeah. moment on yeah. stage. But sort of it ended up being a great springboard for conversation like reality and not reality. Sure, He's sure. not really hurt and like him showing her like this is how the stunt like uh-huh. literally like you go like anyway but I remember that like it was yesterday wow. but beyond that yeah. beyond my personal experience with it <laughs> that was a great show oh thank you thank and you so much and then to see Will and Ben again and Dear Evan Hansen and knowing that for them it made them feel safer on the first day of rehearsal because mm-hmm. they had that history because of you yeah yeah Amazing. I love it yeah it's such a wild thing but when you say like I got attention for mm-hmm. it right away just because so many people are out there plugging away yeah, yeah. and no one's giving them attention right away for their musical how did that like mm-hmm. magic dust get sprinkled on you at that time um you know it's sort of a strange it's sort of a strange thing and and black suits had a had a had a very kind of brambly path to a stage you know it was my first show that i wrote but it didn't it, from the time i graduated school it was um what was it seven years probably uh seven eight years maybe until that barrington production you okay. know and so, um, uh, so Black Seats was my thesis musical at NYU. At NYU, there's some amazing uh, uh, adjunct professors who sort of come through, and we had um, some commercial producers who came through, and uh, the great Bill Finn is Whose song on the is playing in the background there. right now, Heart of yeah. Music? I just yes. have to say that. It's Why does that trippy. keep happening? When we first started, the, there was a song, The Big Chill, from The Big Chill was playing, or what was playing the, when we first uh, Probably Here I Come was playing. Here I Come, sorry. Yeah. The Big Chill, great movie. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I know. You wrote that? Um, yes, That's I did. Amazing. I wrote I wrote, I wrote I wrote the great Big Chill yes um, Kevin Costner was exactly. cut out and I'm yeah. sure you were <laughs> yeah, that was about my fault. that <laughs> yeah before I was before I was well, when I was two I was talking to Lawrence Kasdan about cutting Costner out of the big chill. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, uh, so a bunch of people sort of heard it and were exposed to it. And I think at, it was just one of those like right show at the right time for people because it was right before Spring Awakening opened. There wasn't really things like being written uh, that had like a youthful voice and about young people. And, uh, and so I think people were excited by that. Um, and it kind of got me some, it got me some attention. And so I ended up, and I'm totally like, you know, blessed and it was a magic situation. I ended up at a nonprofit theater and development with this musical, which I sort of assumed was going to mean that my musical would be, you know, off Broadway in a year and then um, be on Broadway the year after that on the strength of great reviews. And then I'd win a Tony Award and like the movie version. And I sort of thought, OK, this will be like a three year process right. to me having like a uh, perfectly comfortable beautiful life in the American musical theater. And uh, as soon as I was, you know, a year or two into development with the show, I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's not actually how this works. And um, I ended up not doing the show at that that theater that it was in development at, um, which is something that happens all the time. Uh, but in the meantime, I was like, oh, I, I'm, I'm a writer and I want my songs to be heard and I want to just put on shows. And so the thing that sort of gave me my whole career was actually not the black suits. It was me 
um, doing shows and doing concerts. And I was like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to like put on a, a, a theater piece that involves my material, but like I, I'm sure that someone does. And so I met with a bunch of theater companies and there was a director who I knew from NYU, who I wasn't, uh, I wasn't like tight with, but I was friendly with. And he directed some stuff that I loved. His name is John Simpkins. And I was like, I, I really love that John Simpkins guy from NYU. Maybe he could direct this thing. Um, and he, he directed my first show. And we've since become like great friends and like very close collaborators. And he directed Black Suits. And Yes, because when Will Rowland was on the podcast, he yeah. said that one of the magical teachers, which we need in our lives mm -hmm. to kind of take us along, was John. Oh, yeah. And a yeah. few times he found himself mentioning that name. And he was like, oh, he's like a fairy godfather to yeah, me. He's exactly. someone who, do you know John as well? I love John and actually I was obsessed with all of his shows at NYU. I was not a performance major and I would just like go see them over and over and I saw one of my best friends, Joe's wife Lauren Marcus, play Mary and Merrily over and over before we were friends. Your and favorite just was, show. Like, obsessed mm -hmm. with her in it and the show and John's direction and then like John and Joe are longtime collaborators yeah. on all these musicals so we've gotten to like work on shows like Blood Song of Love and you know Black Suits and all that stuff together now. And did you meet your wife at NYU? I, I, I saw her at NYU. I saw her in that production of Merrily, and that was the first time that I ever, I, I, <laughs> that was the first time I ever saw her, right? playing Mary and Merrily, and I was like immediately smitten. You know, it was like, She was like, so good that he married that? her. Who is that actor? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always say that I'm like the best, uh, uh, that's such a success story for like obsessed fans, you know, because I truly was like straight up obsessed fan, and now we're married. How does that happen? Like, how do you go from stalker to mm -hmm. lover? Um, well, how I went from stalker to lover <laughs> Was, uh, I mean, I just, it's not the same for everyone, I it's guess. It's not the same for everyone, but my path for the listeners. Yeah. It was, um, you so, know, I, I, I really uh, I really was into her as an actor. You know, I, I love actors. I'm like a huge fan of great actors. I love writing for actors. And so um, I, I just sort of, uh, I, I saw as much as I could of her stuff, right, of her performances. And then uh, one day I was doing a reading of The Black Suits. An actor dropped out the morning of the reading. And I was like, I need someone immediately. I'm going to call that Laura Marcus girl, who I never met to come and be in this reading and see if she'll do it you know and so she always talks about how the first time that we ever really communicated she got a message from me and I apparently said uh, hi Lauren this is Joe Iconis I'm a big fan of yours uh, somebody dropped out of this reading uh, if you might <laughs> if you want to fill fill in I would love to have you uh, but just know that if you don't call me back in the next 20 minutes I have to ask somebody else nice. <laughs> you know nice. that was like my first my so you first... could have been married to somebody else I could have yeah yeah it's horrifying it could have been that next I don't remember who was the next person on the list but thank god she called back and uh and As said that she would, she would do it thank yeah. god yeah thank really god. and the rest is history the rest is history <laughs> and yeah. did you already know her jen you know i was kind of fans of everybody before i became friends and collaborators with them like i was a fan of lauren's um and i was a fan of joe's separately and then we all started the weird thing about nyu is it's so big that you kind of uh see a lot of people that you don't necessarily meet until later yeah 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 so what was the first thing that you guys sort of officially collaborated on um, you know, so I got to work on uh, Things to Ruin as kind of like the producer's assistant, but really I feel like the first thing we worked on more in depth was Blood Song of Love, which mm -hmm. was Joe's musical that played Ars Nova in 2010. Um, and I just got to do a ton of like audience outreach and marketing, um, and it was like such a me. I mean, it's one of my favorite musicals ever, and it was such a like remarkable experience to kind of like work on it in that way. I feel like we also, we had a thing where um, once the show was running, we saw like almost every performance together. How many <laughs> yeah, performances? Yeah were there at the time? It was a like month a, and a half. Yeah, six yeah. weeks. Yeah. So I know that you guys are collaborating on 
uh, well, maybe I don't know this. Are you involved in his production of the next musical that's happening now? Yeah, yeah. so yeah. Joe's show, uh, in collaboration with director John Simpkins at Penn State that's coming up, Love and Hate Nation, I'm actually going to be the dramaturg on it. I am the dramaturg on it. And so I've gotten to do all kinds of wonderful okay. research. And <laughs> I just have to stop. I don't understand how you can do everything. Like, I don't even understand. Alana, you do everything as well. You do a lot of things. I don't do dramaturgy. <laughs> I, I I do dermatology. I, I feel like, literally, like anyone that you talk to in the theater has something they're doing with you or something that they are going to collaborate with you on. And I know you're an extraordinary writer. There's about 20 volumes of theater history that you are creating. The untold stories that Jen Tepper, is it four volumes or five volumes at this uh, point? There's three that are published Sorry. and I'm working on the fourth now. Okay, so there will, by the time, listen, this is yeah, evergreen. Yeah, yeah. There will be like <laughs> ten by the mm. time. Like, don't you just find her, like her mind is mind-blowing. Do you agree? Oh yeah, I absolutely agree. What's mind-blowing is that she's so good at all the things. That's it would be less nice. impressive if she was, if she like half-assed <laughs> it or if she was, you know, she was okay. I agree. But if she was like the third best theater historian working today, it would be right. like, okay, I, I get how she can spread herself that thin, but no, it's amazing. She's just the best at all of it. I feel like it's a very interesting moment in the community where people are, and I love this so much, people are becoming very well-known dare I say famous within communities, not just because they're actors, right? Mm -hmm. Like there was a time that everyone knew the divas or the the Mm -hmm. Tony Award winning actors or were fans of people who they got to see on stage. Mm -hmm. And what is making me so happy, and it's a brand new thing, is that people who write about the theater are hosting panels here at Broadway Con with as many crazy fans coming to see them as the writers of the of the musicals and the people who play in them. And I and I wanna a, just say brava, because I think it's really important for people to understand how many different aspects of the business there are. Yeah. But for like the intellectual person to be honored in the same way totally. is just for a parent and a human being on the planet. It makes me so happy. Well, I really think you're doing amazing things to kind of like reveal the world behind theater and the arts, but it's also so much, um, we talk about the good things and bad things about social media, but one of the best things is that we used to only see the actors, right? Like right. you go to the show, you see the actors, you go read an interview about the actors and I feel like social media has let you see more like the musical theater writers and the directors and the people behind the scenes because it gives everyone just like that equal platform and a voice yeah yeah no for sure for sure it's something that I wish I mean I guess I wish that I had it when I was a kid you know because like I was such like an obsessed theater fan um, and so it feels so natural for me to be like, oh my God, there's, you know, Jonathan Tunick. I'm like, right. you know, like these people right. behind the scenes. And it's so incredible that now there's like kids who, who maybe wouldn't have that at their, hadn't previously had that sort of thing at their fingertips, um, that they're able to like appreciate this whole community. I do feel know? like people are sometimes surprised to know that about Joe. Cause one of the other reasons we are like so tight and hit it off right away is like, he is the hugest theater nerd ever. Like people think of him as like cool and he likes regular <laughs> music, but I'm going to dispel that myth. Joe Iconis like loves Miss Saigon. I do. Well, that he loves is... musical theater and I like do. obscure musicals, all yeah. the things. 
Well, we went to the library, right? Like mm-hmm. when you were growing up and you're us, you would listen to cast recordings and you would go to your library yep. and kind of, if you were obsessed, you had to really look for the thing or order a magazine, like a special yeah, like yeah, American yeah. theater magazine yeah, no, or course, something yeah. like that. That was like the porn of our, our yeah, time, yeah. right? Like, oh yeah. my God, what's happening in the regionals? Ooh, <laughs> like hide it under your blanket oh at God, night. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but now there is this access and you can watch shows or snippets of shows on YouTube in ways that obviously were not accessible to people before. Yeah. But it is true that I had this flashback yesterday because I moderated this panel about show business, The Road to Broadway, that amazing documentary about the 0304 season, which was the season I like followed as a senior in high school. And the main way that I followed it was ordering Playbill magazine and waiting to get it once <laughs> a month in Florida. Like that's the access people have to like be more chill fans on the internet. Like they know the next second after yeah. you've done a concert, which songs you did, they can listen to them on YouTube. It's amazing. It's wild, yeah. It's crazy. So what's better, like wait for it or immediate gratification? <laughs> I mean, I'm from like, I'm from the wait for it school of thought. You know, I like, I like the sort of like purposeful build up to things and uh, it makes it feel special. And I like, I like when you have to seek out things a little bit, but I think, you know, there's some, there's something fun about occasional immediate gratification, I guess. So. Is Jen Tepper a character in any of the things you write? She's definitely inspired characters and things that I've written. Do you um, know which ones he might be thinking of There is. There's been a few moments in our friendship. Like, you know, Joe's not, like, writing an autobiographical musical, but there's a few moments in shows where you're like, oh, that's that conversation, or that's that moment that I know Joe had. And there was, there was a song during uh, Black Suits that Joe wrote to me. He was in Barrington, and I was in New York, and he was like, you're going to have a reaction to this song, this new song for Black Suits. And I was like, okay. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm less of a writer who's like, oh, this is the this is this character who's based on this specific person and right. more um, I, I'm a big like I'll like clock things that people say and sort of store them away and then you know two years later they'll end up like as a line in a song it's like that kind of thing so how did you go from oh my god I love suddenly Seymour mm-hmm. to I want to write musicals um, that touch people and make people laugh and shock people and and um, reflect a part of me that not everybody may know already. So I, uh, as I said, I sort of started with this love of going to see theater, right? And so uh, I was like a fairly shy kid, you know? Um, uh, and, 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 and theater uh, was something that felt like, uh, the people who performed theater and did theater felt like sort of the opposite of me, you know, and I loved it. And so when I was little, I would be in shows because that's like the way that you can participate in theater when you're like six did or seven. Did people tell you like, Joe, you have a good voice. Like when did you discover no, no, that no, you could I didn't. sing? They didn't oh. tell me that because I had a, I had a terrible <laughs> voice. Uh, and I was really scared to be in shows, but I loved being Joe, you there. have a terrible voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they didn't I say like that. Listening I like was... to him sing his song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know why I they know, say I, you yeah, don't. I can like anyway. put over a song now, okay. but like whatever. But okay. I couldn't when I was seven. Okay. I was just, yeah. Fair enough. Sort of terrified. Okay. And so, um, uh, and so even though I knew I wasn't good at it, and even though I could look at other people and be like, oh, that that's like a, a really great singer, you know, at like age eight or nine. Um, I loved, I loved just being a part of it. I loved being around the theater. I loved the like making of the shows. And so as I was sort of like in things, um, the other thing that was happening with me is that my mom was forcing me to take piano lessons because uh, my mom had a piano that her parents bought for her uh, and she never learned to play and we had this piano. And so she was like, we have this piano. You're going to like take piano lessons because that's what you do. And I was taking them and I was not really liking them. Um, but then the more and more I got into theater, the more I started playing by ear. And so I would go see show and I would go back to the piano and then I would like start playing you like picking out the melody you know Um, and then that's what sort of opened up music for me doing that 
uh, that uh, also what was happening was then I was just like reading a ton about theater. So like I was, you know, you talk about the library, like I was the kid who was like 11 years old and the only person ever to check out like the Broadway by the year books. You know, it would just be my name like a million times. Exactly. It was like straight up that. It was like the fat Italian version of Bill. He was the Bell of Long Island. Garden City Public Library. Isn't this um, amazing? Yeah, seriously. Yes. Just like taking out, you know, the book Sweet. to like 70 Girls 70 and reading it. Um, and so as soon as I realized, oh, there's people who like, who write these things, um, that's what I wanted to do. And I have no idea why I glommed on to that as opposed to like being the director, being whatever, but it was just the, the writing was like, oh yeah, I want to do that. That's what I should do. And, um, and so then as I started uh, playing piano more and more and like improvising and doing all that, I started kind of making up my own tunes. And so then when I was a little kid, I would be writing these songs without lyrics. I never wrote lyrics when I was a kid. Um, and just making up these songs for like theatrical uh, contexts, right? Or like I would write like a song and it would just music Music that would be like for the musical version of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, just like movies that I loved, you know? So you'd um, imagine the musical version of things? Yeah, totally, totally. Without um, lyrics? Without lyrics, yeah. I was always too scared to write lyrics. Because mm-hmm. uh, that was like putting yourself out there in a certain way that felt like a little bit too much for me, but I could like sit at a piano and just like play something, you know? Um, and so then I was doing that more and more. I did it all throughout high school. In high school, I was like the kid who played piano for everybody. You know, I, I, you know, I was the assistant musical director for all the musicals. And um, were you still shy, uh, or was this a way to kind of be there and not have to worry about being social? You know, I, I, it was a way to be there and not have to worry about being so social. And I definitely got more social, but I certainly was not like an outgoing guy De- definitely shy you know and i, I have um i, I had uh, my, my best friends mike and kevin who are still my best friends um they were like these like huge personalities and um uh and and they sort of like like uh, kind of swept me up with them right so i could like hang out with them and uh and we all love theater um but I, I i didn't have to like do that myself you know and so i sort of had that in high school and um don't you want don't you wish mike and kevin were here right now <laughs> mike and kevin are amazing and in fact a little piece of kevin is in the song Kevin so speaking yeah, yeah. of autobiographical yeah, writing sure. yeah, I named it, I named <laughs> I it for like, Kevin is that the song Andrew Rannells yeah, yeah. 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 maybe not a little piece nice. a medium piece it's not yeah. a true story yeah, it no, might it's be the, cur- the kernel of the song was yeah. Kevin Kevin in 2010 <laughs> um, but yeah so I uh so I decided I wanted to write musicals in uh you know in middle school right like in middle school my health class um, our teacher had us write down what we wanted to do, right, on a piece of paper, and then she mailed it back to our class when we were seniors in high school. Are you kidding me? No, no. Um, Ooh, I and want I, to do that. Yeah. That's good. It's a great idea. Yeah. It's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, you have to stick with it. I feel like if I was her, I would just forget or I'd misplace but them and then have to, like, it. forge them. No, she did it. And I said, I want to be, I want to be a Broadway composer. That's what I wrote when I was 12. And so... That's pretty remarkable. I think so. What do you think yours would have said when you were 12? I wanted to be the theater. Like, I wanted to be the theater. That's what I would always say. But George Salazar asked me earlier in our panel what I would do if I didn't work in the theater. And the only answer I have is being a waitress at TGI Fridays. Because before I said theater, that was the only thing I wanted to be. A waitress. Specifically at that. Specifically Fridays. I wanted to wear that outfit with, like, the pins and the stripes. Um, (laughs) So mine probably would have said that until I turned nine. And then my answer became, I would just want to be the theater. It's kind of an amazing thing to be at Broadway Con, which is filled with dreamers, right? Like all of us. And I feel like I still wake up every day 
going, I get to talk to Joe Iconis and Joe Tepper today. <laughs> like, there's something really amazing about building a life toward the thing that you want to do and finding ways to keep reinventing yourself in, sure. in this world. And I think that Jen is someone, you know, I, I didn't mean to embarrass you when I said that, like, I cannot believe, like, of course you're going to do the drama <laughs> work on this show, which is, like, makes sense to me because of how smart you are, how much you have written. Right. You know, if you think about Malcolm Gladwell's like 10,000 hours, mm. something like you've probably written one billion hours. Right. Probably. At this point. Um, <laughs> but when you think about, you know, this collaboration that you're about to do and and sort of working through ways in which to help the piece grow, what is that conversation like between the two of you? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're so close, obviously. It sounds like you could probably tell each other anything at this point, right? We, we can. Yeah, I feel like we can. Um, of course. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> one of the most interesting things to me is like I'm the dramaturg on Love and Hate Nation, which I have never officially worked in that capacity on any of Joe's shows. But the things that I'm saying to him or the things that I'm researching are similar to things that are conversations we've had about other shows, mm-hmm. even though just like it hasn't been that official title. Um, and I think, look, like my favorite thing about BroadwayCon this year is seeing all these Be More Chill fans because... Um, my biggest dream is to just have people love Joe's shows as much as I do and so anything that I can do to kind of support that whether it's like promoting it or whether it's like dramaturging it um, is like a conversation that I am excited to have yeah what is this next show about? It's uh, dramaturgically speaking. <laughs> dramaturgically speaking, it's a musical uh, that is a love story between two girls in a juvie hall for girls in 1962, and it's uh, sort of about a group of uh, young women who learn how to be revolutionaries. And what was the inspiration for that particular environment for the show to take place in? Um, I had been, I, 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 I had wanted to write something set in like a classic juvie hall for a long time, right? Uh, so it was sort of like a bunch of different ideas. So there was the Juvie Hall idea, um, and I had written a song uh, that's sort of known as I Fell in Love in Juvie Hall. That's like a love song between two girls in a Juvie Hall. I wrote that a couple years ago, and I always thought like, oh, maybe that could be a could be something bigger than one song, you know. And then um, I got this commission from Penn State to write a musical for their senior class last year, and I could write about whatever I wanted. It just needed to be able to be performed by this senior class, and the makeup of the class was two guys and, and seven gals. And so... Uh, I felt like, oh, this is what I should I should use this to write this musical I want to write. That's um, that's that's all 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 women, you know. Um, and so that's kind of how it how it came together. Okay, I don't think I will ever interview anyone who says I want to write a musical for all women. Like, who says that? Yeah. What's interesting You're like the is greatest like, man on the planet. Yo, the the leading it. role, which has been interesting for me to research and to watch Joe write, the leading role is a young black woman in 1962 who wants to be, a, she's like an artist, she's like a musician. Yeah. Um, and so to research her influences musically, to research what was going on for a young black woman in 1962, mm-hmm. all of which both Joe and I have done, has been amazing. And like, it speaks to our time in such a crazy way yeah yeah for sure you know and as far as the writing writing something for all all women i feel like i'm always drawn to um to to people drawn to women Women. yes clearly yeah yeah yeah. uh uh, but people who don't usually get musicals written about them you know uh and whether that's like one type of person or like a population or you know marginalized population whatever um and so to me it feels like why like why wouldn't you want to write (laughs) it's like a no-brainer you know and i and i see shows and um, I've certainly written shows about, you know, 
white dudes before. I think which is you know all well and good, but uh, it feels it just is boring to me, you know. And it's like yeah, it's like there's other other types of human beings um, in the world, and why not have them reflected on a stage, you know? I've spent so much time reading about you and listening to you and and kind of going through the history of your relationship and how many things you guys have done together and how it really is a love story between two people who love theater so much and you know the thing about producing which I've done a little bit of of in my life too is the joy that you feel when you give people opportunities to do what they do with all of the resources that they need to do it with Mm -hmm. and to give people opportunities to be great and I feel like the thing about you, Jen, is aside from all of your own projects that are allowing you to be great as an artist yourself, you keep creating homes for people to uh, work. And who is that? Um, that's, that's Rob Rokicki, who's a really uh, he fantastic writer. He wrote a lightning writer. thief. And he, pl- and he plays in, plays in my He's band. walked by a couple times and stared I at us longingly. That. I feel like he should be here. I saw the lightning thief. And He's so good. my 10-year-old so good. was like, what? My dream is to like kind of get people to... like. I- to be an advocate for Joe is like so rewarding for me and whenever I get to bring people to 54 Below who I'm like you gotta see this guy um, and they're always like oh my god I loved that it is so that's so rewarding on musicals on concerts it's just my favorite thing well Will Rowland was saying that the thing that he's kind of excited about in terms of the power <laughs> of his social media mm-hmm. numbers is that he can talk about bowling for <laughs> no right, reason at right, all right. Um, and that he can tell people to go see your work yeah. and and that he's kind of exploring like okay I wonder if that will be impactful like mm-hmm. there's all of this fandom that happens right we talk about that a lot sort of the power of social media and it's one thing it's really easy for people to hit like mm-hmm. or the heart button and it's another thing to like get people to actually buy a ticket or get out of their house and go see the thing and really figuring out how to take this platform yeah that's an incredible community and fostering a love and and familial feeling yeah on the internet but actually having it activate people mm-hmm. in ways is something that you know i did an activism panel today and and just talking about like if all the people who are doing selfies today <laughs> instead like put out a message of, you know, love or something you can do today to like be a revolutionary. How do you kind of translate all of this energy around it to kind of seeing beautiful work and motivating people to, you know, become political? It's just an interesting time in Mm -hmm. that way. There's also, there's this family of artists that Joe has created. And he also has like invested in so many of our friends who are actors before they had a shred of fame or a Broadway credit. And all of those people believe in his work because they have done it or they love it. Um, And now they're all becoming more and more famous and they advocate for Joe because like Joe kind of believes in people myself included like I was 22 and had no experience and he was like yeah come produce my concerts and while Roland was like right out of school and Joe was like come be in my musical and George Salazar Joe was like let me hire you to work on a new musical and it's like all these people the more power we get we're like let's use that because we believe in this art so much yeah. I love you, Joe. I know it's so it's so nice. Is that heady? I'll take it. What it is, is that? What do you do with that? Like you're the you're the <laughs> beacon. You're like the thing that makes them get out of bed in the morning. I don't know. It's very it's very surreal. You know, I think that um, the thing that I'm most proud of in my career so far is is the people that I've surrounded myself with. Yeah. You know, like truly, and the and the artists who I've uh, been lucky enough to collaborate with. And um, and so to see so many of those people now have success where maybe they didn't have that sort of success, like 
the capital S success before um, is that that's totally rewarding and it's just it's mind blowing when then they want to use that success to try to like build build me up and yeah. um, and 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 help yeah it's just it's uh, it's wild it's cool but I'll you know I'll take it I will certainly take it I it need all the help like, I can get it Joe kind of taught me it's like kind of like a musical theater Steppenwolf because Joe mm-hmm. kind of he like takes the sensibility of actors who he loves and like gets to work with them multiple times on different projects in that way and it does it just creates like a fabric of work that I don't see in a lot of other musical theater yeah yeah and I think you know and for me that came out of like I um in, in addition to loving theater I'm a huge uh movie guy you know and so um, artists who I was obsessed with in my formative years, uh, the, the biggest is Robert Altman. Um, and I, I'm, I was so obsessed with Robert Altman uh, in high school and in college and the idea of like a repertory you know, company and the idea of like working with people who you love and creating an atmosphere of, um, of collaboration and party and all that, uh, it's just something that like clicked with me, you know? And I was like, oh yeah, that's what, that's what I should do in musical theater. Like, why isn't anyone doing that, you know? Um, and it's something that really, uh, that I, I still believe so strongly in, you know? And it was so funny, like when I, when I sort of first started out doing things before people knew me, I felt like I was really battling this perception of like, oh, Joe worked with his friends. Like that's, uh-huh. everyone would always be like, like, oh, him and his friends, you know? Cause a lot of times I'm working with these people who don't have a lot of credits, whatever. Um, and so it's been funny to see the turn in the last few years, you know, <laughs> like, and can I, we get Joe and his friends? Exactly. Right, exactly. Totally. It's like a thing now, you know, um, which is so heartening. And like back in the day, I'd always, I, you know, I, I worked with Annie Golden all the time because she was someone I was really obsessed with. Who and, I saw in the black and, suits. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and she's, you know, one of, you know, one of my muses and, and I love her. But, you know, when I was in college, like I just cold asked her to be in the first reading of the black suits. And she said yes. Um, but, you know, like back in the day when people would be like Joe and his friends, Joe and his friends, I would always have to be like, well, like, I, I didn't go to college with Annie Golden. That's <laughs> you know? right. That's um, right. And so clearly it's not just like me and my me and my buds, you yeah. know, making musical theater. Um, but it's been cool to see people um, not only tolerate uh, my collaborations, but a- appreciate them. Um, and, and yeah, because I, it's just the way it's the way I know how to work and it's the way I love to it's work. It's also so. like uh, one of the things people don't understand about why our Christmas show gets bigger and bigger is because Joe also like welcomes all these new people into the family every year. And like be more chill. What's beautiful is that like I think when people respond to it, one of the things they're responding to is like Eric William Morris, who played the squip, is like this incredible actor, incredible singer. But, you know, he often gets asked to play like the hot guy role because he's like a hot dude. And like Joe saw a lot of things in him that he kind of shape, helped shape the squip character. Um, and the voice of the script character and the funny things about the script character and people love that but there's also all these actors in Be More Chill that like you didn't know before that weren't part of that family who now are part of that family because of that show so it's a constant like grabbing new people and like utilizing those things about the the people we've known a long time yeah for sure but that's the dream and I think what happened like when I started out I was in a theater company called Naked Angels and the reason we could do that Jonathan Mm -hmm. and, and so many amazing artists working today and the reason we could do that is we had an artistic home in a physical presence we had a mm-hmm. theater space and that was a time where real estate in New York was just not what it is today and you could find an old factory space that you could work out of and so now to have that kind of continuity where you have a theatrical home and a, it was a clubhouse mm-hmm. right like it was this way in which and now you are creating that for people like yeah. it's very fortunate that your friend runs 54 below like no, not I know. for nothing yeah. because just having a space to yeah. go to and to work out of and to hang your hat on and to feel familiar with to do the kind of work that you want to do with an audience that you know will come like that is a very magical thing that not everybody has like that home base is an extraordinary thing 
I love being able to have that. And what's really funny is I kind of have my job at 54 Below because of our Christmas show. Because when I did that was when I got hired to run 54 Below. Like we did the Christmas show first before I worked there. So mm-hmm. wait, and they saw you doing that, and yeah. they were like, "Okay, Isn't that she crazy? could do that." Joe refuses to take credit pieces. for this, but he has gotten me almost every job I've ever gotten. Just because, like, when you work on something that you love and people see that you're passionate and that you're good at it, which I think I was doing all the stuff I did for Joe's shows. They want to hire you to do it, and that's kind of how that happened. And now it's like the owners of 54 Below, uh, whenever Joe's there, they're like, we love this so much. Thank you. And it's kind of, it comes full circle in that way. And we get to do like Joe Iconis and family shows there. And Joe mm-hmm. and George Salazar are doing a show there coming up yeah, too. Yeah. I just want to say that I could sit with you guys forever. <laughs> yeah, There's just likewise. so much to cover and so much to talk about, but there is also a lot going on at Broadway Con. <laughs> um, thank you for having us. This is thrilling. And I just want to say thank you to both of you for kind of leading the charge and, and creating a new kind of theater community that is really about empathy and compassion and inclusion and friendship. And uh, those are beautiful, beautiful things to chase. And I love your work so much. And Thank I can't you. wait to see what happens. And I can't really, I mean, not since Hillary, I guess, when is the campaign that I start working on? <laughs> Jen Tepper 2020, I'm not sure where it's going to be. But um, I'm with her, is um, all I We're with say. you. Thank That's you right. so much yeah, for having thanks. us. Thank you. Thank you for being and on doing the podcast. what you do. Yeah. It's really fun. I get to be inspired every time I sit down. And it recharges me mm-hmm. in ways that um, are unexpected gifts daily so thank you for being here of course okay it's Broadway so much singing (laughs) good night everybody If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says Contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc.